Welcome to the Sus Talk Podcast. I'm Susumu Rocky here, and joining me is someone I've been waiting to have on this podcast. He is the producer for a bevy of different shows on CBS Sports Radio, and he also produces for SiriusXM NBA Radio. He also hosts his own YouTube series called The Good Shepherd. I am joined by David Shepherd. Shep, how are you doing today? I'm good, Sus. Thanks, thanks for having me, man. Uh, things, Like you said, things are kind of getting back to normal, so things are looking up, you know? Yeah, things are looking bright as day. The NBA is set to come back in late July. But before we get into the restart of the season, I want to begin this podcast by simply talking about you. And I just want to ask you, what inspired you to not only go into sports radio, but also what made you want to cover the NBA the most out of all the other leagues? Well, for me, you know, just kind of growing up in New York, uh, we had, when I was young, um, you know, Michael Jordan was the biggest star in the world. And so he was very easy to root for. And then you had the Knicks, and this was when the Knicks were actually really good. And we're talking about the days of Ewing and Oakley and Starks and Harper and Charles Smith and Mason, and, and the list goes on and on. And it was just such an exciting time to be a basketball fan. And Michael Jordan was the athlete that I identified with first. There's never been anybody like him, and there's never been anybody uh, like him since. So to me, watching the game, guys dunk on each other, crossing over, the fact that they can do it on both sides of the floor, it's action-packed. You're not waiting around, you know, like uh, no disrespect to, you know, baseball, but, you know, athletes aren't standing there, and you're not waiting, you know, 30 seconds, 40 seconds in between plays. So for me, basketball was really, really exciting. What I find pretty interesting in terms of just like watching basketball, especially as a kid, is that it's so much easier to identify with superstars because you yes. it's it's not even just the, the matter of you're you're seeing them doing something constantly. It's also the matter that you could see everything. That's something about basketball that I've always found fascinating is that with baseball, hockey, and and football, they're covered up by helmets. They're covering up in like padding or whatever. Basketball, there's no padding. You can see everything. You can see what their right. face looks like. You can see what tattoos they have on their bodies. You can see whatever, you know, advert like favorite shoe or favorite what clothing, anything. You could see whatever that superstar likes, whatever they look like. And it just makes the connection as a fan. It's so much easier. So I can, you know, identify by saying, "Oh, I want to get this guy sneakers because he's been wearing those 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 model sneakers through every game that every game I've seen him in." So it's something to that extent. Yeah, no, it's a great point. The visibility aspect of it. I mean, absolutely. I mean, I I was having this conversation with someone uh, earlier this week. You know, about the NFL. And there's maybe outside of five guys, like, do you really, would you recognize them on a street corner? I mean, if I put Derrick Henry's picture up and I gave that to non-sports fans, are they going to be able to recognize who Derrick Henry is? They're going to be able to do that for LeBron. They're going to be able to do that for, I I would think Giannis, I I don't, you know, maybe, maybe Tom Brady, um, but there's not, you know, I think Kawhi Leonard would be one of those guys. James Harden would be one of those guys. Uh, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry. There's a plethora of NBA guys who you could put out 
to the common masses, so to speak, non-sports fans. And they'll say, well, I don't watch sports, but I do know who that is. I, I know that they date this person, or I, I do know that they won this title and whatnot. But you can't, you can't even do that for – you know, one of the top three or four players in the NFL and Derrick Henry, in my opinion. I don't know how you feel about that. I think it's more or less because, like, with, with the NFL, it's very, like, quarterback-centric. So, you know, right. well, you know who the quarterback is because they're right. front center. You, they're pretty much, you're pretty much forced to learn about your quarterback because without the quarterback, the, your team can't function. And. Right. Like it's it's tough because there are plenty of great defensive linemen, offensive linemen, but they never will never be as recognized as their quarterback, let alone other skill positions as well. So it it's hard to really give them credit by giving them like sup like superstar status. Like I want to give superstar status to guys like Quentin Nelson or Zach Martin of the Cowboys, but you can't because you you don't know like what they look like. They just are a big dude in in, in a helmet. It, it, sure. it's it's so hard to recognize those guys and give them like the superstar treatment that I think they feel that they would that they would love to have but with basketball you can rec- you can pretty much recognize the sixth man off the bench like I could go onto a street and I could probably like be able to see Lou Williams walking down the street and I would be able to recognize him immediately right right sweet Lou man I, lo- I love I love I love me some Lou Williams man that guy is he is so special off the bench what he's been able to do and carving out the 15 year career he's been able to man that's 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 an OG right there that's a guy that came in in 2005 and was playing with Allen Iverson and that's how long he's been in the NBA it's great to see him getting the uh you know justified and well-deserved attention that he's gotten the past couple of years so when you're covering the, the NBA in in a sense like is it to you are you able to continuous like do you feel that your passion for basketball has like continued to like become much like more intense or you know something something along that lines are is it has the league been progressing to a point where you feel satisfied as a fan so i would it's interesting because the skill level has gotten so much better. The purity of the game, the rivalry, the intensity, I don't know if it's what it used to be. Um, you know, I, I, I applaud guys who have relationships with other, you know, teams and, and whatnot. And I know because of AAU and because of how much professional athletes are involved in USA basketball, how much these guys train together in the off season. The skill is, is better than it's ever been. It's as high as it's ever been. But as a purist, as a guy that loves the competitiveness and the intensity and the rivalries, it, it, it's tough to get behind that. I mean, I miss the days of you know, Jordan versus the Pistons or, you know, Bird versus Isaiah or Magic versus Bird or Jordan versus the Knicks or Jordan versus the Pacers, um, you know, or, you know, Kobe versus and Shaq versus the Kings. You had such intense rivalries, you know, Garnett and, the, you know, the Celtics and the Lakers when they were playing in the late two, 2010s, for, for Christ's sakes. Well, you don't have that really much anymore. You don't have those guys that, 
you know, have such a, you know, a healthy disdain, not, not a, uh, not a personal disdain, but a, a healthy disdain, a, 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 a rivalry, a, a legit dislike for someone, not because of who they are, but just because, Hey, they're on the opposing, you know, sideline. They're on the opposing bench. I, I miss that. Um, I really, I really do miss that. And, and the other thing that I, I wish were different and I understand the player's perspective and where they're coming from, but listen, I wish guys played 82 games. I, I, I do. I, I wish players wouldn't elect to sit out certain games because of rest. Um, you know, Carl Malone did it pretty well until his 40s. John Stockton did it pretty well until his 40s. Kobe did it really well until uh, 37. Now, you know, he had some injuries at 35, 36, but, you know, he played 17 years, you know, pretty healthy. So that's something that I wish would be would be changed as well. The game is in a great place. Um, but from a purist fan standpoint, would I like it to be a little different? Yeah, definitely. I, I think the the argument for just having, you know, the players play 82 games, like I understand it. Like I understand why people want them to play the 82 games because when you want to go out and watch watch your team play, you're most likely saying, oh, I want to see that player play when I'm, when I'm attending the arena. But I think I think the more like studies that come out about you know you know maybe it's a good idea to rest your your players at least or don't play them in back-to-backs that it's i think that's becoming like it's becoming a lot more aware amongst like other the other nba players so what they're thinking is i think that kind of that whole mindset's kind of seeped into this generation of NBA players, whereas back then you didn't really have studies like that. And it was pretty much, well, you're just expected to play 82 games. And I, right. I just think the mentality shift, I just wonder where, when the mentality shift started, because I, I always point back to when you start hearing stuff like, Oh, the Spurs are resting Tim Duncan for tonight. Sure. I think, sure. I think that's when it started. Then the rest of the league kind of just uh, caught on to it and said, "You know what? what? What's the what's the what is it? Is it worth having Steph play this back to back? Is it worth having James Harden play this back to back? It's just not worth it." But 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 Sus, it's like look, and I I understand you're dealing with something physical, but you know if 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 uh, Jim Rome were to say, you know, I'm gonna come do shows when the ratings books are, are crucial and I'm going to come after the Super Bowl and, you know, I'm going to make sure I come during the NBA playoffs, but I'm going to go beyond, I'm going to go beyond my sick days and my holiday days. I want to take these days off too. I don't think management would be too happy with that, you know, and I understand it's apples and oranges because one, you're, 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 you're putting pressure on the body, but look, we can talk about all the studies we want. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar played 82 games on a seven foot three, you know, body frame. And he did it from age 22. And this is after being the greatest player of all time in the history of college basketball. Um, and then arguably maybe the greatest player of all time, although I would put Jordan first. And then he plays until age 42, played very efficiently until the age of 42, was still all NBA first team at the age of 39. Um, Karl Malone, you know, was an all NBA player into his late 30s. And last time I checked, those guys aren't hobbling around. You know, those guys aren't crippled right now. So we have the paradigms. We have the examples that you can do this. You can commit to an 82-game season. 
you can commit to a deep run into June and your health is going to be fine. And as a result, the game is ultimately going to be better. Cal Ripken Jr. was such a pivotal part of baseball not folding. And I last time I checked, and this is a guy, obviously we know, one of the most demanding positions in baseball, Cal Ripken Jr., last time I checked, he's doing okay health-wise. He's not hobbled. He's not hobbling around. He's not limping around. So I, I just think today a lot of athletes, and I'm not saying all, but I think a lot of athletes in some ways take the easy way out, and I believe this is one of them. I, I think it's a, just a matter that sometimes it's not even just about the players making that decision. And sometimes maybe the coach is just that. Like, that's why I mentioned Pop, because I think I'm pretty sure someone like Tim Duncan or Tony Parker, that they would be like, okay, I want to play this game. I really want to keep playing. But I'm, but they, t- they take the night off because that's what their coach ex- told them. That's what they want them to do, just to be more fresh. And sometimes it's you can pretty much tell like when it when a player lets to sit out or when it's just a simply a coach's decision and i feel like that should factor in too yeah i know i i hear that um but i also think you know players have to you know play, players you know they're, they're they're grown men at this point you know uh, nba coaches you know are the saying is they're hired to be fired this is a this is a player's league this is up to the players. This is up to their integrity, their professional aptitude, their dedication to the game. I, I, I can't imagine being the best at something and knowing that you have this finite window in terms of the grand totality of somebody's life. You get a chance, if you say the average life is 85, and not to, not to be too specific about this, but if you say the average life is 85 years, right? Um, basically what that means is if you take one season, that's 82 games and then include playoffs. So basically less than one third of that season, right? You are going to be on a basketball court playing in a meaningful game. That's less than one third of those days. If you have the all time greatest career, you may go 15 or 20 years, right? So that means that less than 5% of your life you're going to be playing on a basketball court. Why wouldn't you want to do that? You're the best or one of the best in the world at what you do. You can showcase it. You can do something that you love or that you really much enjoy. Why would you elect to sit if your body allows you to? That doesn't make any sense. I understand that. But I and I think we're just going to move, move on to something that – I, that you mentioned a little bit, like the GOAT. And I just want to get to that point because since the premiere of the Last Dance documentary, I feel like the, the GOAT conversation has risen again. And, right. and there's much more controversy as the, as it's been in years past. Now, the debate has been MJ and LeBron. I feel like since LeBron won the, won the third title or even before that, so so why so 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 why why is it MJ or LeBron? That see, I knew that question was going to come up, and I was, <laughs> and here was my first question for you. There are definitely other candidates to the goat conversation, so I feel like we should definitely advocate for Kareem and Bill Russell, and because no one talks about them in that regard, and at least like in mainstream media, they don't get the love for that. So why is it that we're not including other 
other players into the GOAT conversation? Why is it always MJ LeBron? Why is it always that? And why is it that like the GOAT conversation is so intense in the NBA compared to other sports? It's interesting because, like you said, the basketball is so individually driven. You know, it's such a heavy individual marketing sport where you do identify with the players, whereas the NFL, there's a lot less mobility. Um, the MLB doesn't have nearly the same popularity that it used to. Uh, you know, Babe Ruth was so dominant, so ahead of his time that people just automatically say, hey, you know what? It's Babe Ruth and then there's kind of everybody else, even though that's a whole nother discussion. But look, in basketball, okay, we don't take into account the game before the 1979 NBA Finals. And the reason why that's important to us is because finals, for the most part, were on tape delay. So those guys didn't have nearly the exposure that even a Magic or a Bird had, or obviously a Michael, a Kobe, a Shaq, a LeBron. But here's my thing. If you're LeBron James and you go to the finals nine times, and you win three. So six different times you lost. Two of those times, you got swept. You got swept. The other time, where they lost to the Spurs in 2014, they lost by the biggest margin in the history of the NBA Finals in terms of points per game. Another Finals, he's up two to one, and he loses three straight, two of those games at home. Another NBA Finals, they're heavy favorites. They have two other first ballot Hall of Famers. And and when I say that, Chris Bosh should have been a Hall of Famer. The only reason he didn't get in was because this is a very special, extenuating circumstance with Kobe, Duncan, and Garnett. And then obviously D-Wade. And they lose to a team where their best player – was 33 years old and wasn't even in his prime. And everybody else on that team wasn't even at an all-star level. And you lost to that team. The point is, he's had so many opportunities to win NBA championships. And he's gotten three, but he should have gotten so much more. And I'm not poo-pooing LeBron James because of that. But what I am saying is if you're going to hold him in the reverence of being the greatest player of all time, you can't overlook all these shortcomings. You can't overlook the fact that he hasn't won an MVP since the age of 28. You can't overlook the fact that he stopped being a really good defensive player at the age of 30, 31. You can't. And he's had, and he's picked his teams. That's the thing is all the success he's had. He's had it when he's picked his teams. He wasn't Kobe where he was kind of stuck with what was given to him. You know, when Shaq left and those were linear, so to speak. He wasn't Michael Jordan where if they went into rebuild mode, you know, Michael would elect to play somewhere else. Michael Jordan didn't play somewhere else because they, they didn't want to have his head coach back. I mean, that's the kind of loyalty this guy had. I mean, he did it from scratch and he never left. Same with Kobe. Same with Duncan. So to put LeBron in that conversation – when he's had so many opportunities to close and didn't, and not just didn't close us, but came up so overwhelmingly short. You can't put him in the GOAT conversation. You can't even put him in top five. Now, if you want to talk all-around game, if you want to talk talent, 
I'll give you that. He's the greatest player ever. We've never seen a guy with his skill set, his all-around ability. And when you talk about the longevity of LeBron James, he's going to crush everybody. But if you want to just strictly talk greatest, when I think greatest, I think who is going to, at the end of the day, win me the most championships. That's Bill Russell with 11. That's Kareem with six. Michael with six. That's Kobe with five. That's Duncan with five. But LeBron has had arguably better teams than all those guys, and he's just at three. And he's going to play more years than all of those guys, and he's just going to have three. Can't include in the GOAT conversation in terms of what it means to truly be great. I'm sorry. Wow. That has to – I've never I've never had someone just kind of give the full detail of, and you're not so you're not even including LeBron in the goat conversation at all. Why? What why, why is why is he there? Because it's an easy narrative? Because it's something that we can continuously talk about and because we we think it's good ratings because he happens to be playing this day so we might as well elect to have someone who plays in our time be in that conversation? I I feel that. And so let's like analyze some other goat conversation like cuz you mentioned Bill Russell's 11 titles and I've always I've recently gotten to fall in love with, you know, Bill Russell's career because I think it's just fascinating to see someone with his mentality and the way that he approached the game of basketball. It's like, it's no wonder this guy won 11 championships. Like the way that he thought about playing the game was very team oriented. And he was someone who I felt was... You know, and I feel like a lot of people would feel the same way. Was this is a guy definitely playing in a time before, you know? Well, you know, playing in an era. He was like an era ahead, and so to speak, because he they didn't even record blocks back then, and he was doing things. Yeah, he was doing things that not a lot of people during that time period were doing. And you you also mentioned Kareem as well, and I I really feel like Kareem should be in that conversation. Like personally speaking, I would say he's the third, he he's the third best NBA player I've ever seen. You know, because you get Michael Jordan and LeBron. Like I'm like you know speaking like skill, and I'm talking skill just to reiterate because I I we because I, again like I I feel like the goat conversation should be more expanded. You know. Right. Well, Kobe, well, Kobe was more skilled than all those guys. He was more skilled. And, 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 you know, just to be clear, Sus, like LeBron is an amazing, amazing basketball player. And he's an all time great, all time great. He's absolutely top 10. There's no debate there. And he's the most important player in today's game, even in year 17. But I, I just, don't think you can give a guy that status when so many times, so many times, at the absolute zenith of basketball, he's fallen short. And and so and so I want to be very clear about that. It's not that LeBron's not all-time great. He is. I just can't put him there yet. Now, he may change that narrative. He may win two titles, and that becomes a much different conversation. But let's not fall to the trap of, well, it's in front of us, so therefore we have to gravitate and grab onto that and say, well, he must be the greatest of all time. Now, in terms of what you're saying with Bill Russell, he was absolutely, absolutely ahead of his time. Um, He was always the best athlete on the floor, and he was also the most intelligent player on the floor. And so you have those two things, and then you talk about the will and the dedication this guy had. He cared so much about the games. He would throw up. 
because he just had so much on his mind and so much intensity and so much energy before he would go out onto the hardwood. That's the, that's the level of greatness that Bill Russell was. Um, it's tough to argue different eras because again, he played in an era where there were, you know, eight, nine, 10 teams, depending on the year. So that, so his 11 championships don't necessarily mean the same as Jordan six. And so it's tough to argue. And so then you have to go to individual greatness. And that's why to me, Michael Jordan is the greatest player of all time, but it's why to me, Kareem is the second because Kareem has the individual numbers, but he also has the championship numbers too. I feel like we should be rewarding longevity more. And Kareem is an excellent example of this, like almost 20 years of consistency ever since the day that he got drafted and to the day of his final NBA game, he was just always either the best player on the floor or the second best player on the floor. And I kind of do want to go, go into MJ a little bit. I feel I here's what I've heard. Like some people have theorized that MJ gave the green light to make the last dance documentary with, you know, the 98, the unseen 98 footage right after LeBron won his third NBA title with the Cavaliers. Like, do you think at all that MJ felt that he needed to reassert himself in the public as the goat because he, he thought LeBron was coming for him? Um, it's a good, that's a good question. I, I, I find the timing interesting. Like why now? Um, you know, like that didn't make much sense to me because, you know, if it was after 2016, then I understand that because, you know, LeBron has this historic comeback against the Warriors. And obviously we know about the 73 and nine record. I get that. But LeBron's lost, you know, three times in the NBA. Well, I shouldn't say three times he's lost two times in the NBA finals since then where they've gone one and eight. And then the next season he doesn't make the playoffs, you know, for the first time since 2005. So right now LeBron doesn't have that much of a case, you know, you know what I mean? So it's like his, his case is almost diminishing. And so I don't know if Jordan needed to make this now. It definitely helps him. Because Jordan knows there's going to be some backlash. People know it was kind of his story. And people know that he wasn't the best guy, you know, on and off the court. Wasn't always the best teammate. But it certainly does solidify even more, you know, the Jordan crowd. You know, the Jordan fan base saying, see, this is why this guy is the greatest of all time. Yeah, I just found it, like, so interesting that they deci- he decided to release it at this point. Or get, it, get like, the documentary going at that point. If... Wow. Whatever we we I don't think any of us will ever know for sure if that's the exact reason why. Maybe he just felt that this it was time for people to know his legend, like because he felt like a generation was, which I you know it it sounds like blasphemous that people would just forget a generation of people could just forget about Michael Jordan, but it it, it sometimes right. like there's. A disconnect can happen, and I'm, you know, we're all very fortunate. Like as, as sports sports media guys, we are very fortunate that the documentary came out when it did because it gave us something right. to talk about. Sort of, it, it kind of had like that f- football feel where, like, right after the morning of, people were talking about it because a lot. It gave us something to talk about for at least a month, 
and we're very like every monday there was always like we, we were able to just kind of parse through like michael jordan's career and some some of the things and so is that kind of like what you got out of the last dance documentary yeah i mean you got you got a, you got a guy who you saw have more swag um than anybody else in the history of sports you know you saw a guy that just willed his team uh like no other person we've ever seen in team sports um you got what greatness is personified you got what it means to be at your best when your best is needed and he's the closest thing to we've he's the closest thing to perfection we've ever seen in sports i don't think you're ever going to see six for six again ever in any sport i mean look at brady i mean people consider brady the greatest football player of all time you know i'm not saying that i'm not saying the best but the greatest and if you look at that guy when his teams were favored three of those times they lost they lost the giants twice once at 18 and 0 so it just goes to show the 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 true just amazing brilliance of michael jordan and you know the, the, you don't you're not going to see you're not going to see a guy that that with you're not going to see those kind i mean just he was he was a god and remember, the media was different back then. So the media was about protecting players. They were about hiding and concealing some of the darker sides of the individuals that the kids and the public alike looked up to. And so because of that, there was this mythic figure when it came to Michael Jordan. There was this iconic, godlike um, thought and belief that people had about Michael. He was almost untouchable. You don't have that anymore. It, it, it is kind of interesting that you're pointing that out because, you know, in the documentary, they point out about right around 93, the media was kind of exhausting, you know, Mike, Michael to a point of nearly just pretty much them being part of the reason why he made that retirement in 94. Right. But I've always thought that. I always like to imagine, like, what would happen if you placed some of these, like, all-time greats from different eras? What if you placed them in, like, social media? Because someone like Bill Russell, I feel like he would pretty much, like, dis have a disdain for the platform. And he wouldn't just – he wouldn't have a Twitter account. He wouldn't have an Instagram. Right, right. Like, some of these guys, like, they would, they would never – I think as players, they would never have it. Like, some of them have them now just for the sake of publicity or doing PR, but – I just think it's hard to imagine, like, or at least it's pretty fascinating to see what players would take to social media. Because I feel like Wilt would definitely be someone who would embrace <laughs> social media. Magic would embrace social media. And then you're kind of, at this point, it's just figuring out who, what, why, like, or what personalities these players have that would, you know, work with social media or why they would never use it. Sure. No, that's a great point about uh, Wilt. Um, it's a great point because he was, he was, you know, he was, Wilt was so likable. You know, he, he might have not been likable to the basketball purists because he would often fall short in the biggest of games, but he was, he was, he was this charismatic, good looking, you know, seven foot one mythical figure. You know, and Magic, I mean, Magic was, you talk about a, a player that was beloved 
uh, in his respective community. You're right. Russell would have never had, Russell probably wouldn't have social media. Bird definitely wouldn't have. We, we know for a fact Larry Bird would not have had social media. The guy doesn't have social media now. Um, you know, and so we know he wouldn't have had it. But yeah, Michael would have been interesting. I, I tell you what, Michael would blow up the internet if he had social media back then. Yeah, it's. I, I feel like it's a, kind of amazing what social media, how much of an uh, influence it has on a lot of these players now. And I, I think it's just that's how that's something you had to take into account. Like media is something you have to take into account, like the environment when you're talking about greatness or when you're trying to compare eras because the way sure. that, that the media covers these players is so different. Like you mentioned that the, the mentality of how we covered players back then is was so different compared to how it is now because now everything's just more open. Now we just know everything about these players even before they entered the league. We know everything about them in college. Heck, even in high school, we just we know about these people. Like... It's just mind-boggling to me that we just have all this information out about these players right before they become stars. 100% agree. And the biggest difference in today's game compared to, you know, yesteryear is the media or fans make the players before the players um, make themselves. We're back in the 80s and the 90s. You made yourself. You didn't come in with all this hype and all this following and, you know, this national fame. You know, Zion was a household name before he even played at Duke. And then when he played at Duke, he became one of the biggest names in, in, in sports. Um, so you don't have that. I mean, even LeBron, his games, like you mentioned, you know, they were nationally televised in high school. That had never been seen before. You know, it's amazing. You talk about LeBron. And his his if you want to talk about impact, he might have the greatest impact of any NBA player that we've ever seen. When you talk about what he's done off the court, social activism compared to what he's done on the court, and then you talk about what he's done in terms of player mobility. You know, there had never been a guy. I know this is kind of sidetracking, but there had never been a guy like him in his prime that would take his game and just go to a team with two other guys who he happened to be in the same you know, draft class with. That had never happened before, where a player in his prime said, I'm going to join two of the other 10 best players in their prime. We're going to try to win a title. And now, you know, um, maybe even before, maybe with the exception of this year, obviously, like the big three was like the biggest, you know, phrase in the history of basketball all of a sudden. I think even before then, like, you, I feel like it all started, it's, I've always, 2008 to me was like, was the pinpoint for when this shift in, in thinking or this shift in mentality started because that's when the the redeem team was formed that was when right. the Celtics at around, around that around that time they formed their big 3 granted they did that through trades not by them making the decision to sign and join up together which is it, it's different sure. but i feel like that's kind of what Inspi those two events inspired LeBron to form the Miami Big Three. And then since then, a lot of stars have been, as you said, a lot of stars have been much more motivated to change teams or join with up with other superstars or try to push their way to join other 
title contenders. And I feel like there's less... A lot of these guys feel they don't really care about what like what people think. It's like, oh, you're not winning it on your own or something, or that form of criticism. They no longer care about that. Yeah, I agree 100% with that. And the Redeem team, that's a great point that you make. They developed those relationships in, in the summer, and they won, which helped too. And what's what's interesting about that is um, Kawhi Leonard, it, it, it blew me away that a guy wins a championship, and that was such a special run. I know, you know, a little – some of it was injury plague – you know, to no fault of the Raptor zone, but obviously, you know, we know what happened with Durant and Clay and Cousins and Iggy. Um, obviously, especially Dur- Durant being, you know, the big one. But it, it, it amazes me that Kawhi, and I'll never understand this, didn't stay with Toronto and try to run it back. I mean, that that's tough to that's tough to see, you know, because no, I mean, nobody's talking about Toronto anymore. And it would have been it would have been cool to say, you know what, this team in Canada, um, this team in Canada. You know, I was going to go for a repeat. And nobody saw the Raptors winning at all last year. I mean, people knew that Kawhi was going to be good and he was going to be maybe the best player they've ever had. Um, but, you know, no one had them winning the championship. It was it was going to be the Warriors and whoever ended up in the East and it was probably going to be Milwaukee. But no one thought that a team was going to win without the Warriors. And so it amazes me, again, like you said, if LeBron doesn't go to the Heat and set up that kind of template for an NBA superstar, Kawhi is staying in Toronto and they're trying to repeat in 2020. Let's go into the current season. Let's talk about the possibility of the Raptors repeating because the NBA is definitely set to restart their season in Orlando in late July. 22 teams will be brought back. What were your initial thoughts when they announced how they were going to bring basketball back. Uh, my initial thoughts were good. Um, you know, right now, I think, you know, I, I think we got to really find out where our priorities are. Um, you know, the reason that, you know, the look, look, you know, the NBA is a, is a fantastic league. And it's meant a lot to a lot of people for many years. And it's going to mean even more when the players are on the court because of the times that we've faced the past few months as a country. But I really want to know from the NBA player standpoint, obviously, you know, we're talking over 80% being African-American. Where their heart is in terms of where we are as a country right now, because we're at a tipping point. With Richard Brooks, obviously, the, that being, you know, deplorable and obviously George, you know, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery, you know, there's so much turmoil right now in our country and there's so much oppression that, that has existed for far too long that, that people um, have glossed over for far too long and a lot of people are kind of getting woke to it and but this is something that's really sensitive to people in our country that are of those, those that are of color and they continuously see this. Where, where's their head at? What, what do they ultimately want to accomplish? Do they just want to be known for being a great basketball player? Do they want to be known for someone that had a lot of money and was able to take that money and take care of their families? Or do they want to be known for something bigger? So 
I really think we're in an interesting time. You know, I applaud Adam Silver for being so proactive when it comes to social justice and, you know, activism. And it's going to be really interesting to see the role that the NBA plays in that. But I do believe it's time. This country needs radical change, radical change. And, and, and we can't just say, well, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. We need to do it. We can't say we're going to do it. And so with that being said, or an NBA player saying, well, we just feel like we're kind of just being put on the court because we're the best in the world at what we do. But what are we doing for the bigger causes in our country? What are we doing for the bigger thematic things, the everyday things, the things that are really essential, so to speak? I've heard the word essential thrown out a lot these days. Um, but that's what's really essential to me. I think more than anything, and we, we saw a little bit of like news coming in about Kyrie being, you know, against the idea of com- of the league coming back, so to speak, just because he wants to focus more on those, on like pushing the movement. And sure. I think some of the other players... I, I have full confidence that a lot of the players who do want to come back and do want to play basketball, that they have something in mind that they're going to try to make sure that the conversation continues and that we're, we're able to continue to have dialogue about these issues and advocate for change. So it, with that in mind, you know, I think the one thing that people have questioned with the plans of the NBA has been are are the players, the coaches, or any like staff people, staff members for every team in the league, are they going to be safe enough in the in this bubble system? And do you think that the NBA has planned out enough to ensure that everyone's going to be as safe as possible in Orlando? As as much as we know, um, you know, like like there there is being as detailed as like no doubles ping pong. You know, and, you know, obviously, like if a player contracts it, like they have an automatic, you know, policy of of, um, you know, self-quarantining. You know, they are being very careful in terms of you know who's allowed in locker rooms. Um, they're being very careful in terms of, you know, housing, um, what that entails for family members, how much testing they're going to be doing in terms of what they're going to be doing with coaches, making sure that all preliminary factors are met. So you can't have certain people that are already going to be susceptible to this uh, in terms of the impact that it can have on an individual when they get it. So the NBA is doing a really good job of looking after the well-being of the players and the coaches. But we don't – but the, the, the tricky thing is going to be is, you know, they're going to be in a bubble, you know, and these guys aren't used to that. You know, they're used to being able to travel – around the world, you know, you know, even because even even with the playoffs, this was going to be so interesting is there's going to be that gap in a series, you know, where a, a, a Laker team or a, a Bucks team is going to probably win first round four to one at worst case scenario, four zero in the second round. You know, it's more likely going to be a four one series than a four three series. So what, what, what are they going to do for that idle time for seven, eight days where they're, they're confined to a bubble? And look, I, I know for us, it's like you get to be in Disney World. That's no bubble. But for them, that's a much different change of pace in life. Because for those guys, they're, they're taking private planes in between playoff series. You know, they're, they're, they're traveling, 
you know, three hours to, to go do something to take their mind off of basketball. You know, right now they have to be basketball 24 seven because they're in a bubble. <laughs> so they can be playing golf, but at the end of the day, you know, they're still confined to playing the game of basketball and have to go by certain rules that they're not accustomed to. So, but to answer your question, I think the NBA is doing a wonderful job in terms of taking care of its players and having the proper protocol. Um, I, I, I commend them and I applaud them for that. Do you think that since all the 22 teams are starting up at, the, at around the same time, do you think we're going to see a lot more upsets or an unlikely run in a similar fashion that to the 99 Knicks for when, during the, the shortened lockout year? Yeah, it's a good question. I think that you're going to see – I think the Lakers are going to benefit the most from this because their game travels. And for some reason, they just do not play that well at home compared to how they do on the road, believe it or not. Um, so I think as a result of that, I think the best, more than ever, Sus, the best team is going to win this year because now there's not a necessarily you know, home court advantage. Where I feel like so many teams have won that seventh game because they just happen to get that home court. Like I, I still think to this day that 05 Pistons team was better than the 05 Spurs team. But Spurs just happen to have home court, um, you know. So I, I'm, I'm fast. I'm fascinated to see this, and I hope they don't have crowd noise. By the way, I think that's going to really take away from the purity of the game. It's going to be interesting, man. I, I, I can't wait to watch that aspect of it because I'd love to see like the up close dialogue that takes place with players. I think you can obviously that's going to be a lot more audible. It's going to be very interesting to see, um, you know, the the intensity of a game and how how excited you know a, a team is without the, the support and the bolstering um, and the extra exuberation that a fan base can give a team in an arena. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited from that standpoint because we've never seen it before. That kind of brought up a good point that I've thought about because I did hear that they were thinking about having, you know, 2K crowd noise pop, pump right, in. I heard right. about that. Yeah. No, don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Come on. Just just make it organic. We don't need it. The game's good enough. If, if anything, like UFC and WWE are good test cases for why you shouldn't just pump in crowd noise. Because it, you know, it just sounds like it sounds natural and you get to hear the sounds of the game. Like imagine if you weren't able to like if you were blind and you weren't able to like hear. I mean, the fans would. The crowd noise does help, but imagine just being able to just hear basketball. Just imagine it. Well, not only that, but sus. I mean, would you say The Office is one of the top five comedies of all time? Uh, I would say it's one of the more popular sitcoms of all time. Oh, no, no, but comedy. Comedy sitcoms is one of the top five of all time? My personal opinion, no. But I would say in terms of pe- the majority of people, yes. Right. So they didn't have a laugh track, did they? No, I, they did not have a laugh track. They, they didn't perform in front of a live audience, did they? No. Was it any less funny? I think it just, I think it depends more on like the content. I, that's, that, that conversation or that comparison is, it's different because we're not comparing it to something as organic as like live, a sports fan cheering. That's, I feel like more... Whereas a, a live audience, sometimes they're, you know, instructed to laugh. 
that right. kind of right but that's what i'm saying like like there's certain things that people do to play up to crowds and and like um you know they're they're more silly or they're saying more buzzwords or they're putting on a certain accent and we see it all the time when with sports shows when they're good when they're they're in studio you know they're they talk a certain type of way and they act a certain type of way and then when they get in front of crowds studio audiences they embellish I want to see the real thing. I want to see the organic thing. Um, you know, I want to see players play because they love the game. I don't want to see players play because of outside circumstances, because of manufacturing, um, because of, you know, glitz and glamour. I want to see them play because the sport is great enough itself to, you know, to have that be the justification why. I, I want to put a bow on this podcast by asking asking you how how you've been since the pandemic hit but most importantly i i want i want to know have you been going back and just re-watching certain points of nba history yeah i mean i've been i've been i mean sus i mean this has been a tough time for us you know me, me personally what i've done is I've, I've really looked at my career and kind of said what i can be doing differently um you know, being, you know, for being really honest about this, you know, this really hurt part-timers in our industry, you know? Yeah, I, I can attest to that as well. Um, this really hurt part-timers. Um, you know, obviously, we full-timers lost jobs, so I'm not saying all full-timers, but, you know, those guys have had it the best, you know, uh, those guys have had it the best. Generally speaking, I mean, I'm obviously we know some people that have lost jobs who are full time. So I'm not speaking about those people, um, and I feel sorry for those people. And I, I don't mean like a sympathy sorry. Like they're going to be fine. They're, they're talented enough. The people that we're talking about, they're going to land on their feet. Um, and it was, you know, it was just circumstances. It was, it was, you know, it was the pandemic, and and that make, and I understand that. But you know, full timers haven't lost salary. You know, a lot of full timers have been able to, and when they do work, a lot of them have been able to work home home you know in our industry the companies that have the essential workers those are the part-timers and those are the ones that have to commute um so it's it's been tough it's been tough being a part-timer in a lot of these uh establishments but but that doesn't answer your question but that's really what i've been doing is I've, I've, i've taken the time to really say look if something like this ever happens again you know i don't want to be in a position where i have to you know um, go to work in order to be paid. If some of this happens, I want to have the good fortune of being able to stay home and not put my health at risk. If some of this happens again. So it's just basically all career. Now, as a result, I've been watching, you know, games because of that, because that goes hand in hand with having a career. But how, how about you, man? How about you? You're asking me all these questions and rightfully so, but how about you, man? What's the been, what's been the biggest takeaway for you during COVID and that, how you've been holding up with everything. It sounds like things are good enough, but probably not as good as you want them to be. I think for me an ultimate it just it it sucks that the for that there's less work for part-timers as you said. It it, it but that's just kind of what has what's happened is that they're trying in some ways a lot of these companies have to make that decision. It's like okay, we, are we going to get have do we need like more people or they're also thinking about everybody's collective safety and 
it, there's so much unknown with this with this virus. We still don't know like a lot of information about it. There's a lot of stuff that's still coming out about what COVID is and what is it capable of doing and what some of the other things that we're we're still learning. We're still researching about the virus. So I feel like it it's tough for me to answer this because I feel like I don't have I don't have the perspective to like of. To understand, like, just at least, like, how the, how something like this could affect, like, our industry. Because I've only sure. been in this industry for close to two years now. And, or at least, like, a year and a half, so to speak, a year and a half. And it's tough for me to answer that question because I just, I haven't, has, because no, I feel like for anybody, anybody, it's just hard to answer that question because, like, there's, you, no one has ever been through something like this so it's so the circumstances are so new and so foreign to us that it's tough to answer these questions but That's what one says. I, I just think that we will get through this and since our we're so fortunate that for us we're in new york we're in new york city and new york city is was hit brutally hard by it from this virus like a month a couple like in March and April, it was brutal. Like I was seeing like the news headlines after headline after headline of who, how many, the numbers of cases, number of deaths. Like it was a lot, and it definitely took a toll on on me just to, just reading it all. But I th- we've gotten so much better because we fought back and we have been taking in different safety measures that and adhering to them and now we're at a point where we're going to be entering phase three and then hopefully if we keep this going phase four and you know we're getting a a lot i feel like we're going to be back to normal a lot sooner than people thought initially and that's just through the fact that we all like stood together and we listened and we took this took the the quarantine and we took social distancing seriously. Yeah, I think we're taking it seriously now. <laughs> I think I think people are aware of the second wave, man. Like it's coming. And I and I hope people I just hope people wearing masks. I, I just hope we look at this as we're in the, we're in this together, like you said, and things are gonna get better, but they have to get better. Um they they have to get better, but they have to get better on, on the account of us all pulling together and looking out for each other because those those go hand in hand those go absolute hand in hand we have to be wearing masks have to be there's no excuse not to at this point i'll tell you this though i think because i've i've from the numerous times i've been to japan like even before they i i would walk down the street and half of the people there were wearing masks and right, part of right. that, I, I feel, I think I heard that, that part of the reason they start, a lot of people started wearing masks, especially in East Asian countries, is because the SARS outbreak in back in like the, back in the early 2000s. And since then, a lot of people just said, hey, actually, this this works out pretty well for us. And we this, right. this is good for combating the flu, combating some other. So I feel like I my my hope is that people wearing a mask will just be normal even even when we have a cure for 
for for covid and i want to see more yeah. people just wear masks like i don't want people thinking oh we have a vaccine and we should we do we don't need to wear masks anymore i was like actually i mean it's your choice you don't have to but once we have the at least once we have a vaccine i wish more people would just wear masks in general right no understood it's 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 a lie. It's just thinking about all of this is is a lot. But I'm I'm glad. But we, this is these are, these are conversations we need to have. Yes, sir. So before I let you go, I want to ask you quite quite simply, who do you think will yeah. raise the NBA title this year when it's all said and done? I'll, I'll keep it short and sweet. It's the Bucks. They're better, they're deeper than last year, they're more experienced, and they're hungrier. Can't argue with that. I can't wait. It's just <laughs> going to be what... I mean, I feel like we're still going to get Milwaukee versus either the LA teams, but I don't know. I, it, it's, I, I still think that there's so much unpredictable nature with how the league's going to restart that. I really hope that's a team like the the Pelicans or the, the Mavericks or even like even the Raptors. I hope that there's a team that just comes in and just creates chaos in the playoffs. I really hope for, th- I'm really hoping for that. You have no idea how much I want to see that happen. No, I hear you. So that's going to be, it's going to be must see TV as they say. Definitely. Um, so Shep, I just want to know how can people how can people get in touch? How can people he- see your work? Is there anything that you want people to know that you want the people to know that you're that you're doing right now? Uh, just I have a, a YouTube channel as you mentioned. Uh, just type in David Shepard, S H E P A R D. If you type in uh, Kobe, I'll, I'll come up for sure. Uh, if you type in David Shepard, Michael Jordan, I'll come up. And just would love people to subscribe and check out my content. And I hope. Um, you know, I hope it's good NBA dialogue, and I hope it makes you think about some things, and I hope it you know keeps you entertained. I know for those that love the game, I love the game. Uh, it's definitely worth your time. So I appreciate you giving me that opportunity, Sus, and thanks for having me, man. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much for coming on. And that's going to do it, everybody. Do not forget to follow this podcast on Spotify as well as Anchor.fm. I can't wait for the NBA to come back, and I'll see you guys next time.